All right. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Justin Craig. I am the Family Life and Children's Minister here at Windsor Road. And we are getting ready to start a six-week sermon series on being a family on purpose. Uh, this morning, uh, we have with us uh, Craig Jatilla, and Craig comes to us uh, from Southern California, uh, where he is the president of Empowered Living uh, Incorporated. Uh, I've heard Craig speak at many, uh, many conferences. I've read his books, and uh, I'm always left wanting a little bit more. And so uh, we brought him in a couple years ago. Uh, we thought it would be uh, healthy for us to bring him back in again. And uh, we hope that uh, by the end uh, of this morning that you are encouraged uh, to be focusing more around God's will for your family's life. Uh, so please welcome uh, Craig Jatilla. Good morning. Uh, I was flying in uh, yesterday from uh, California, and uh, I wasn't eavesdropping, but I could hear the conversation that was happening by the two uh, college students in front of me. And uh, I was listening to their story. It's kind of a unique story. I'm assuming they went to the University of Illinois. And the story was about how they had missed a midterm, a pretty important midterm in their uh, chemistry class. And what had happened, I guess, is they were supposed to study all weekend, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and then the midterm was on Monday. And I guess what had happened is one of them had some friends up in Chicago, so they decided to drive up to Chicago and, of course, take the books, do a little studying as they went. Of course, they didn't, they didn't study. They just played all weekend. And uh, it got to be late Sunday night, and they decided, you know what, let's just blow it off. We're not, we're not going to make it back. We're going to be too tired. We're, we could bomb this thing. And so they slept in on Monday, right? The, the, the test was going on. They, they completely missed it. So they drove back, and they thought, you know what, we'll, we'll talk to the professor, and it'll be fine. He's uh, kind of like gullible, and so we'll just tell him, we'll tell him we, we got a flat tire. And... Um, so they did. They came back, and on Tuesday they showed up, and, you know, the professor, where, where were you guys? You know, we were up in Chicago. We were trying to make it back. We got a flat tire, and we weren't able to make it. Is there a chance that we can make, make it up? And he said, no problem. Absolutely, no problem. He said, come in tomorrow, 9 o'clock, and, and you guys can finish it. So they did. They showed up, and they thought, man, this is, this is unbelievable, right? We got to play the whole weekend, no studying. So he actually put them in separate rooms and gave them the uh, test, and so they opened up the test. And the first question, it just said five points, uh, define and describe fission. And they were like, no problem. That's like elementary stuff. That was like first year stuff. No problem at all. And they filled it in and they got that one done. And then they uh, turned the page question two, 95 points, which tire <laughs> Apparently, the professor also had a sense of humor. Right? And the point is, which tire? I, I, don't, I don't know. Were you guys, did you talk about it? We just talked about a flat tire. We didn't, we didn't talk about the left front flat tire. And, and the point is, they needed to be on the same page. And as families, I think we need to be on the same page. And I always want to just give a little kind of upfront uh, disclosure statement. You may be sitting here with teenagers. I have teenagers. I have three children, Alec and Cameron. They're 17. Uh, they're graduating uh, this year and uh, will be going to college next year. And just to let you know, a special discount on uh, a book I wrote today, because I need to pay for their college, uh, the books are $900 uh, today, but today only. Uh, so just kind of a heads up on that. Um, 
they're, they're 17, they're graduating, and then our daughter's 15, just turned 15, she's a sophomore, and uh, that's my life, teenagers in the house, right? And some of you may just have teenagers, and you say, Craig, what you're going to talk about planning for my family, my family is, is really done. Like, my kids are like seniors or teens and, and out. I'll tell you, the things that I'm going to talk to you about today, the five steps to kind of plan for your family's future, I didn't start them until about two and a half years ago. So it's never too late to start. For those of you that are kind of uh, on the ground floor, you have some toddlers, great, great spot for you to be as you plan for your family's future. And you may be sitting here going, well, I'm, I'm a grandparent or about to be a grandparent, and so this doesn't really apply to me. No, it absolutely applies to you because you can have a vision, some mission and values uh, and goals for your grandkids. So all of this will apply no matter what and no matter what stage of life you're in. But we need to be on the same page, right? So uh, in your notes, there's just five steps I'm going to go over, and uh, we'll spend maybe two, three hours doing that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We'll just a few minutes here. Uh, but planning for your family's future, the first step you want to do is decide your family's foundation, like a foundation. Uh, I'll give you a quick little story about my son, Alec. Uh, we live in Southern California. The beach isn't too far from us, and when he was much younger... Uh, he had to be probably around a three or so. Uh, he would literally not play in the water, but, but play with the water, like tease the water, like it was some type of competition. And uh, the beach in Laguna uh, has a couple of rock jetties that go out, and he would go and stand out there, and the waves were particularly large uh, this uh, week, and they would roll in, and nothing would phase him. The, the waves would hit the rocks, and he would get wet. He would get soaked, just spraying up in front of him. I was standing next to him to make sure he was okay. But he just thought that was the best thing ever. He was taunting. He was talking to the waves. Like, you can't get me up here. Not on this rock, right? So... It was time to go, and we walked uh, down on the sand, and he wanted me to pick him up. So I put him on my shoulders, and I'm walking, and the waves were pounding and pounding and making all kinds of noise. It was high tide, and he kept saying, Daddy down, Daddy down, I want down, I want down, right? So I took him off, and I knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to play with the water, right? Now, you've seen the beach where the waves kind of roll in, they stop, and then they recede. And they come in sets, so they come a little heavier, and then it'll be flat for a few minutes, and then they'll come in heavier. And so he had a little game. He, he would watch the wave, and he would run away as the waves came up, and then as the waves started to recede, he'd start to chase it. Well, he wasn't familiar with sets and the rhythm of the waves, and I was watching what was going on with his little two, three-year-old, four-year-old brain. And so he chased the water, and the water would come quicker then he could outrun it. And he decided, I probably can't play with the water and, and win. And I remember the wave hitting and rolling up on him, and his little feet could not escape it. And so the waves were at his ankles and then his knees, and his eyes got bigger, and he went from fear to terrified to horror, and the waves kept coming up and up, and I thought it was the most hilarious thing ever because I am sick and sarcastic. I knew he was going to be safe, but the water overtook him to his knees. He didn't fall down. He didn't fall down until the waves started to come back. And when the waves started to come back, if you've ever stood on the beach in the sand, as the waves come back, it just starts to pull the sand with you. You almost have to lean back. 
and it began to pull him back until he did hit his knees and start to kind of go back a little bit. And I thought, you know what? Maybe it's time I should reach in and pick him up, right? So I reach in and pick him up, and he was like, oh, thankful, right? But the waves were not his friend anymore. When he was on the rock, it was all about, come get me. You can't hurt me because I'm on the rocks. But when he was on the sand, his footing was undermined. It was taken away. And I don't know if you've ever heard the story in Matthew where it talks about the wise and foolish builder. The wise man built his house on a what? rock, and the foolish man built his house on the sand, right? It's important to have a firm foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing about foundation and about that story in Matthew about the wise and foolish builder, the word foolish in English comes from a Greek word called moros. Let me read it to you. Everyone who hears these words of mine and and doesn't act on them will become like a moros man who built his house on the sand. Now, some of you are tracking here a little bit. Where, Where do you think we get the word in English for moron? From right here. You can go tell your friends. The Bible calls people morons if they don't build their house on a rock, on a solid foundation. Uh, They will be like a foolish person, a moros, and that's where we get our English word moron. We we are not um, uh, functioning in a healthy way, and the definition is actually one who is deficient in judgment or one who lacks sense. We have to have a firm foundation, and we would suggest that a firm foundation is on the person of Jesus Christ. So we have to have that foundation. The second step to plan and build for your family's future is designing your family's vision. Designing your family's vision. Now, this idea of a vision statement isn't new in the world. It isn't new uh, with corporations. You go to the airport. I frequent airports, and there's always a top 10 bestseller list, and there'll be uh, a number of authors on there, and all of them will contain some way to have a vision or mission for your company or corporation. Without it, it's not successful. Well, about two and a half years ago, I thought, you know what? What would happen if we kind of did a family ink? What if we had a vision statement for our family? I started asking around. No one had one, so we started writing one for our family. Just a vision statement. A vision statement isn't something that's measurable. It's something that you can remember. You may say, I want to love God and love others. That could be your vision statement, love God and love others. A vision statement is about what your family, what you want your family to become, not what your family is. Uh, If I had to write a family vision statement for how my family is, it would would be, we're messed up and we're finished. Uh, It's like depressing. We want to be vision casting, right? We want to say, hey, we want to love God and others. It's who you want to be. Now, we've spent a lot of time in uh, ophthalmologist offices and cornea specialists because my son, Cameron, when he was three, got an injury to his eye. And we were uh, actually in Atlanta when it happened. And so we were kind of away from our home, and I was speaking, and uh, my son was injured. And I can remember literally praying, God, please help him to be okay. And the doctor came out of the surgery room. I happened to run into him. He still had his mask on. And I said, How, how's my son? How, what's, you know, what's going on? He said, your son's going to be blind. He's not going to see again. His eye... We can't really fix it. I, I sewed it up, but that's it. 
and he had an injury right across the pupil of his eye. So after a couple weeks in the hospital, went home, and he's had a number of surgeries, over 16 to this point, and he's 17 years old. He's had a lens implant because when his eye was uh, injured, he lost the uh, lens in his eye, and it was right across his cornea, so he had to have a cornea transplant. So cornea transplant, lens implant, strabismus surgeries, a number of things, all centered around seeing clearly. So we've been to ophthalmologists in and out for years, all the time, most of his life. And when you go to the doctor's office, the ophthalmologist or the optometrist, they usually will bring a big uh, pair of glasses over you. It's called a phoropter, a phoropter. And a phoropter is best described, if you've ever been to an optometrist, uh, it's the machine where they say, do you like it better like this or like this? One or two, A or B, one or two, A or B. Do you like it better like this or like this? And you say, I don't know, I don't know. This one, that one, that's what I'm talking about, right? That, that one, the big thing. Are these my glasses? And so then you are looking through an image in the distance for clarity. And that's why the question is, do you like it better like this or like this? Which do you see better? Is it more clear? So over time, they get your prescription correct so that you have the clearest vision possible. Now, my son, through miracles and uh, a number of things, with corrected vision, he sees 20-40, and he was going to be blind, or so the doctor said. Here's the interesting thing, is that his cornea transplant required someone to donate a cornea. And it happened to be a kid roughly his age who, who died. So someone had to die for him to see. There's a correlation between uh, families being able to see clearly and the foundation of death of Jesus on the cross because it was paid for for us to see clearly Jesus had to die. Now, I know some of you, and myself included, may not see clearly. I've never met a parent who's come up to me after a conference or talking on the weekend and said, Craig, you know what, let me just give you a heads up. Um, my wife and I, we've done everything possible to really mess up our kids. I mean, we have done, I mean, it's been, seriously, we've, tried, we've let them hang around with all the bad kids. Uh, we, we don't, sometimes we just don't, we say, just eat what's ever in there. And we, candy, all kinds of, all the time, and TV's constantly, everything we do bad, on purpose. I've never met a parent that said that. Now, we may go into a Starbucks and, and look at some kids maybe running around, and you go, well, clearly they need some help, right? Don't we all? Don't we all need help, right? So here's the thing. Maybe, maybe as you were growing up, the way you were parented kind of is coming out the way you parent now. Because I know there's sometimes I'll say something to my kids and I'll go, that was my mom. I was just my, mo I was just my dad. What happened there? Because that's what was modeled for us. On extreme cases, it could have been emotional abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse. All of those things are injuries that have come into your life. And I think God, I think Jesus wants to say, come into my office, let me put the phoropter over you, and do you like it better like this or like this? Like this or like this? And begin to see clearly, because I don't think any of us really, when our kids are born, see clearly. It's harder to become a barista at Starbucks than to be a parent. And to me, there's something a little bit off about that. I don't care if I get my grande non-fat caramel macchiato correctly, which they did mess up this morning at the Starbucks down the street. However, uh, I do believe, I do believe that if we have a family foundation and a vision statement that talks about what we want our family to become, 
that gives us an advantage. Do you like it better like this or like this? And sometimes we just have to heal on that type of um, emotional or physical or mental abuse. Here's what Habakkuk says, Habakkuk 2.2. Write the vision, write it. Write the vision, make it clear on tablets so anybody can read it quickly. In other words, do you have a vision statement up in your home where you look and you go, that's what we do. We love God and love others or whatever it is. A vision statement is just simply a statement of what we want our family to become, right? That's step two. Step three, step three is the describing my family's mission. Descri- describing my family's mission or writing my family's mission statement. Now, a vision statement, to kind of give you the difference, a vision statement is memorable. It's not necessarily measurable. Um, a, a mission statement is directions to accomplish your vision. Love God and love others, great. That's fantastic vision. Now, the mission are kind of the instructions, right? Now, guys, I'm just going to kind of put us all in one group. We're not instruction people. We're not direction followers. We're not, if we're driving somewhere, we're not asking for help. There is no, we're going. We're going to experience it. And I'll give you an example of where most guys fall in this, right? Christmas, my twins are young, right? My wife and I want to get them bikes for Christmas, right? We go to Toys R Us, and right there it says for a fee, like you can see the bike. I even got on the bike and rode it around the store before I got in trouble. And there's a sign right there that says you can buy the bike that way. They don't come that way. I thought they came that way, that you can pay a little extra fee and they'll put the bike together for you. It's already put a bow on it, under the tree, whatever, done. Right now, ladies, don't even give your husbands it, just have it built. Don't, guys, don't. Stop. Just stop. Really. Mass confession. Gals, okay, you're good at that. There's some stuff you're, you're bad at, but I'm telling you guys, we don't, we, instructions, why? They don't need to even be there. I, so twins, bikes, I'm not going to pay the extra $30 or whatever to have the bike built by Jimmy in the back. It's me. It's dad. I have some tools somewhere. Uh, I have tools, and I can do it. No, no, you can't. You can't because you don't read the instructions, right? So Christmas Eve, picture it, right? My kids are excited, so they're a little amped, right? And it's 9 o'clock. They should be in bed, normal school night, but no. They're not going to be in bed at 9. It's a little later. We finally get them down. Then the customary 45 minutes to an hour to get them asleep. Then, then I go into the garage. Not for one bike. Which, by the way, guys, also... We do not judge and estimate time well. I'm thinking 30 minutes, done, right? I'm going to be in bed by midnight. No, I get the box out. First thing I do, all the parts out, right? Directions, don't need those. Just want to see the picture. I can see the picture. If I see the picture, I can figure it out. So now I've got nuts and bolts. And, and by the way, at the end, there's always more, more than what you need. And they shouldn't. Shame on Ikea, really, for putting more in. And we didn't get the bike there, but uh, we had extra parts. They always put in extra parts. And so, it, so you know, it's a nightmare. And I still have another bike. 10 o'clock, 10.30, 11, 12 a.m. The bike is not finished. It's out of control. Wife and I, Mary and I, we're fighting. Why didn't you do this? Why you didn't? I need the socket. I need the 7, 8, 15th, whatever I need. Where's it at? And it's an argument. We go get the second box. It's spilled out everywhere. And it is a verbal assault. It's out of control. Pulling hair out. Finally, I just, 
I was so frustrated. I turned to my wife. I said, honey, uh, do you need some help with that, putting it together? Uh, and she sent me to my room, which is where I wanted to go uh, originally. So the instructions apparently are are a key, right? And here's what I used to do as a parent. I would look at a family on our street. Oh, look at them. Wow, the Smiths. Amazing, right? The Steels. That's fantastic. The Lombranos. That's amazing. Okay, look at what the... I would look at the picture, the outside picture, and then I would come and try and do that with my kids. But here's the thing. Who we are on the outside, that's not us. We're nuts on the inside. They look good on the outside, right? And then they go inside and they're a mess. Why? Because we're all a mess. So, when you look at everybody's best, you look at the bike and figure out, try to how to put it together. No, it's individual. It's what is your vision? Our vision is to love God and love others. How are you going to love God and love others? And that becomes your mission statement. And you could say something like, well, how we're going to do this is we're going to know God better, we're going to grow in our relationships together, and we're going to show God's love to others. Know, grow, show. Maybe that's it. Here's the verse, Ephesians 5, 17. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Here's the thing. You can't open up to, let's say, Hallucinations chapter 3, and it's going to give you a mission statement. It's not. It's not. And for those of you, Hallucinations is not a book uh, in the Bible. But I'll tell you this. It's individual. And where I get caught up as a parent is I try to take the best of what everybody's doing and, of course, Jay's daughter, she plays nine sports and has a 4.70 million GPA. God bless you. My kids are struggling. You know, I want to put the bumper sticker on my car. My kid you know, can beat up your kid. I don't know what it says, but you know what I'm talking about? The stickers, okay? My, I, was, I was a 1.97 GPA in high school. And I know you're going, why are we listening to you? And I don't know because it's 1045 and you had to be here. Here's what I'm saying. We, we, we need to make it individual. It's not for the family across the street. So our daughter will say, uh, Dad, the Steele's daughter can play the nine sports and everything. And, of course, we say, I know, uh, but we're your parents and you can play one. And then when that ends, you can play Another one, see, when I grew up playing sports, we would play baseball for like 12 weeks, and then it would, this is weird, hold your, hold your horses here, it would stop. There would be no more. 12, hey, I want to play baseball tomorrow. Sorry, it's done. It's football season. And then we play football for 12 weeks, and at the end of 12 weeks, we go, hey, I want to play football. But something weird would happen. It would just it'd stop. It was, a, it was an end. Now you can play basketball, baseball, football all the time, Right? Where does it end? So just because our daughter is only allowed to play one sport doesn't mean your daughter is allowed to play one sport. It has to be individual, individual. So if you have older kids, let me just give you three points here. If you're going to sit down and kind of hash out your mission statement, I would say talk it over, get their input. I have found that our kids will help support what they create. So if they're on board with kind of writing a mission statement of like know God better and uh, you know, grow together uh, as a family and show God's love to others, that no grow show. If they came up with that, we've seen them really invest in that. So talk it over. Take your time. A mission statement doesn't take an hour. It takes a month or two or three. Just kind of let it go. I mean, God may bless you and you go, oh, okay, got one, right? Or take the one. Know God better and grow in our relationships as a family and show 
God's love to others, but talk it over, take your time and think it through. And here's what I would say, just kind of as an add-on. Know, grow, show. Know God better, grow together as a family, show God's love to others. As the example, that's three things, right? There is a, a phenomenon in our world that's known as the rule of three. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but let me kind of give you a couple to see if you catch on here. Uh, ready, set, lights, camera, reading, writing, and blood, sweat, and father, son, and how many piggies in the nursery rhyme? How many? Three little piggies. How many musketeers? How many blind mice? How many bears with Goldilocks? Have you ever played rock, paper, the rule of three? It would suggest that things in three are easily remembered, easily recalled, and easily practiced. Never mind that I have five points in my talk today, uh, (laughs) but I will tell you the rule of three is easier. Know, grow, and show. Because it's hard to do what you can't remember. I would say stick with the rule of three, right? The next one, step four, defining my family's values. Defining my family's values. Uh, It was Roy Disney who said this marvelous quote, when values are clear, decisions are easy. When values are clear, decisions are easy. Now, to put a word picture to this, I can remember when I was eight years old, my mom asked me what I wanted to do for my birthday, and I said, I want to go bowling. And uh, my mom put that together, and a few of my friends and I, we showed up at the bowling alley, and it was amazing what we saw. They had put bumpers in the gutters of the alley, of the lane. We could not throw a gutter ball. It was awesome. All day, no gutter balls. Not one. In fact, uh, you put five or six, seven ADD kids, right? And there was no medicine back then. Our medicine, you know, was the belt. That was our dose. And so uh, we would go. And so we're now, you know, we have the bumpers there. It was supposed to stop us from throwing gutter balls. At the end, we were trying to see how many times we could hit the bumpers before it hit something at the end. It knocked a pin down. Here's the thing. Values are like bumpers in the gutters of our family. It prevents us from throwing mental, emotional gutter balls because our values are on the wall. Our val- we know what they are. When values are clear, decisions are easy. Now, I'll give you an example. We started to look at values for our family, and we came up with a way to kind of make it memorable. So we used our last name. Our last name is Jatella. So we simply came up, and this is our kids and my wife, all of us together around dinner, maybe, you know, two or three months, and we came up with one word and a verse for each. So in our last name, uh, just, we want to be just, um, you know, when it comes to either social situations or, you know, making sure what is right and true and honest. Now, remember, this is not describing who you are. These would be much different if it was describing who we are now. This is values that keep us making right decisions most of the time. And then the U was understand, right? Understand. We have, if you wanted to look at the other side of it, if you say just, I would say, if you said describe us now, values describe us, I would say judgmental. We weren't just, we were judgmental. We want to be just, right? 
The next one, understand. We want to understand where people are coming from, kind of put ourselves in their shoes. Be aware before any judgment is passed. Just kind of seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And then thankful. Be thankful in all situations, right? That was a value we wanted. We want to be, are we always thankful? No. But there are times when literally I'm just going, I don't like this. I don't even like the person who's telling me this. I don't like anything about this. And then I go, but our value's thankful. Okay, okay God, thank, thank you. Thank you for this. You say, Craig, that's forced. Well, it's not forced. It's a reminder on how we're supposed to be. It's the bumpers in the gutters of our behavior, right? Thankful, integrity, be honest and truthful, laugh, have fun in life. We want to enjoy life. And you say, Craig, that's, that's not spiritual. Laugh, please, come on. There is no. See, our family is sick. They are, we, we, we really are. And I'll give you an example of this. We were getting ready to go. Uh, somewhere we were packing the car. I have a an SUV, and I had the hatch up, and everybody's bringing the suitcases to me, and I pack stuff. I don't let anybody else pack it because I have control issues. And I know I, I've been to counseling for it, and I'm, I will continue to go. But anyway, I'm putting stuff, and so they come in in a certain order, and I know how it fits, like a puzzle. No one brings two. You, you can bring a bag, and then you have a carry-on, right, to use the airline language. And so here they come. There's five in our family, and now there's six, and then there's some more. You know, thank, thank God for Vera Bradley, women, okay, whatever. Uh, and you guys know what I'm talking about. And so here comes my wife's Vera Bradley stuff, and it has to go, in a, and it just messes everything up. And now I'm upset. Uh, and I'm talking to my daughter to go tell, not my wife, but her mother, why we can't bring the Vera Bradley uh, because it doesn't fit and it's not the way we do it. And so I'm uh, talking to myself and, thing, and my daughter's just standing there like, Dad, here he goes again, you nuts. My kids come out, my wife comes out. I get so mad and I put thing, and I go to put the hatch down and what happens is the, the side uh, little piston things, they, they're wearing out. I'm 6'2", and it usually goes up to about 6'5". But today, no, it's 5'11". It's, it's hanging down. So I pop up to give my last point, the exclamation point to why we only bring one suitcase per person. And I hit my head. It was painful. I went down to a knee, literally. And then I could feel the blood, literally, like coming down. I'm like, well, what is going on? Stars spinning. And I, I just managed to kind of look over at my family who are all <laughs> like trying to hold it that's sick. That's not, you don't laugh. I was going to die. I could have bled out from that. And they don't care. I'm bleeding on a knee. And they're like trying to hold it. My two sons, who are the most sarcastic, they just, they're, they leave. They're out. Right? And what do you do with that? The value says, listen, I know you're in some pain right now, but you got to laugh. Because you know what? You're 6'2", you were mad, and God just showed you humility. And you're going to have to suck that up. So your family, it may not be laugh for you, but for us, it is. And then Abel, overcoming life's obstacles. With our son, with his eye injury, right? With our daughter, who we adopted from Kazakhstan when she was four and a half. We wanted Abel to be a part of our values. Because we can overcome with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can overcome anything, right? We can do it. Whatever comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy is what the Bible says. We want to make sure our family is able. So when one of our kids says, I can't, we say can't or won't because 
The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So able, overcome life's obstacles. Values are really, really important in life. And then step five is determining your goals, determining your family goals. And I say goals need to be, if anything, measurable. And I'll give you an example of measurable goals. There's one that you probably have in your home and have reiterated it and have talked about it, especially if you have kids that are uh, maybe in fifth grade, sixth grade, junior high, and it's this. Clean your room. Right? Anybody ever said that? Clean your room? How many, if you have more than one child, feel that children have a different definition of clean? Because clean means different things to different people. To our, our boys, clean means nothing is seen that should not be seen. If you look under the bed, there is no room. There, there could be something dead under the bed, which would be a good title for a book now that I think about it. But I'm telling you that under the bed, they just move it all. In fact, our boys, we say clean the room, they, they will just move the piles around. They're, they're, it's not clean. It's just moved. And then we, we got them like bunk beds, but there's like a desk underneath, so they couldn't put stuff under their bed. You know what they do? They just shove it in the closet. And if you open the closet, the closet just pours out, right? Now, my daughter, clean, everything uh, hung up, nothing under the bed, everything, dad, look, clean. So we had to come up with a different definition because our boys were a little off with what we felt was our definition. Being in different hotels at different times as they were growing up, just you know, going around and speaking and talking to different groups, they know what hotel is. So we came up with this line. Your room must be hotel clean on Sunday night. Hotel clean. And when we kind of announced that, they know what that is. They were like, oh, like hotel? Really? Hotel? That means there's nothing under the bed and stuff. And the, and the sink. We have to clean the bathroom? Yeah, hotel clean. And that extends into the sink area and everything. So hotel clean. Now that becomes a little bit more um, measurable because now they have something. They know what hotel clean is. And we want your room to be hotel clean. So my daughter's like, isn't it always? And our boys are like, why? Why? How about not just clean? No, hotel clean. Measurable and adaptable. Like, we don't want to just have a goal that's like, hotel clean, hey, listen, there's no mint on your pillow, you're grounded until Jesus comes back, that's it, give me your phone, give me whatever. No, you can move it a little bit, right, flexible, but we want to make sure they're measurable. We want to make sure they're measurable. So that's the five steps to plan for your family's future, and I want to reiterate and give you an application step. So in your notes, you can go to our website and literally download, it's a 34-page booklet that will walk you through step-by-step how to have a foundation statement, how to write a vision statement, how to write mission statement and some instructions to accomplish your vision, how to write the values, how to set measurable goals. It doesn't just work for corporations and companies. It works for the family. The most important unit or company, Family Inc., if you will, that we have. And you, parents, me as a parent, we're the CEO. We can make those decisions. And I want to reiterate this. If you have kids that are older and you say, you know what, I just, Greg, I I hear you, good stuff. But we have high schoolers and it's too late. 
It's never too late. The Bible says today is a new day. We started this two and a half years ago with our kids. So they actually helped us come up with our family vision and mission and values. So don't simply say, well, my kids are gone, or if you're a grandparent, my kids are out of the house, I have grandkids, that, that doesn't play in. Well, how about a foundation statement for your grandkids? How about a foundation statement and your mission statement and values and goals for your grandkids? Why not start there? What I'm saying is it's not past any of us. They have to be individual. They have to be specific to our family. And this afternoon, that's what I'm going to talk about for an hour or so, hour and a half, is walk us all through what we can do to really put some feet to having a foundation, a vision statement, a mission statement, a core set of values, and some goals of where we want our family to be in the next six months or, or 12 months. What's wrong with that? To be intentional, to be on purpose with how we parent. I hope, I really hope that you consider the possibility of being on purpose with your parenting. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for these folks and parents. And parenting isn't an easy job. It's the hardest job. And it's, uh, sometimes we carry shame because we feel like we don't parent well enough or have failed in the past. But God, thank you for reminding us that our past does not define our future because today's a new day. Up until now, I may have made some parenting choices that weren't great, but from now on, I will parent a different way. So God, I pray that we would leave encouraged, that we would leave um, fresh with some new ideas. I pray that your word was, uh, falls on good ground and that um, you would encourage us, equip us, and empower us as parents to make a difference in the lives of our kids or our grandchildren. In Christ's name, amen.